wait a minute, wait a minute before we start. Stop, 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 stop. All right, but before we start, what happens? How does the music work then? It will. I'll t- I'll talk to you about it later. You'll play and then it'll fade it out and then then we'll right. So we don't need to hear it. It doesn't matter if we're it, us not being able to hear it now won't affect our ability to uh, to speak to have it. No, no. Right. Okay. Christ. Right. Ready? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to Football Unfocused. Uh, the loosely football-based podcast uh, in which my good friend of 30-odd years, uh, Matthew, and I, Mark, hello, uh, speak about things that we think are interesting or that we can be asked to to bother to to think about on that particular day. Uh, I'm quite into football. Matt is even more into football, aren't you, Matt? Yeah, that's right. Well, no, it was, that's good that you clarified that early on because in the other episode, um, you waited until the very end before you you sort of said, "Oh yeah, by the way, Matt knows fuck all about football." It's like when yeah. people shout at you when they're driving past, but when you just sort of hear something like "Matt, you fucking cunt," and then and then you're just like, right. "What was that?" You're telling me that you <laughs> regularly. Are uh, like accosted by people who just like what wind down their window and call you call you a, a fucking cunt. This so my home, hometown in Romford, like I run down. You don't A12. live there. You haven't lived there. No, right, I, okay. I haven't lived there for a while. But I'd go for a run down the A12, and it would regularly happen. Don't think we're going to get a job promoting Romford as a tourist destination if your impression <laughs> of it is the, the lasting memory is that anyone who does exercise in that area is abused. Yeah. While they're running along a dual carriageway. Romford, dare to be different. You'll get fucking abused. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 But, um, Just go yeah, down no. time and envy like everyone else and have a have a, have a blue WKD and yeah, shut up. Yeah. Listen to Steve yeah, Gary. Exactly. Just, Just be grateful. Just fit in, fit in or shut up. Yeah, yeah. But no, it was, um, it was interesting last week because you actually told... Uh, told some people about the podcast and so we yeah there was more than just two of us that listen as in me and you there's more than just a couple of people that listened to yeah it. we've had up to up to five people this week have uh, listened to it but what's even more interesting is that the um the themes that are coming back people are intrigued by you matt they want to know about you they're just like who is this guy he's such a mystery you know this man who's asks ludicrously basic bullshit questions that you get shot down and he just takes it you know who is this guy you haven't mentioned this at all last week a few weeks ago i asked you two questions uh at the beginning of the podcast and you um cynically edited one of those questions out i'm assuming for time so i'm just going to keep asking you questions now that i feel will um uh enlighten our listener or listeners um, to an insight into your world, your brain, your thought process, your, your likes, your dislikes. Question one, Matt. Dogs or cats, <laughs> Matt? Dogs or cats? What do you um, prefer? Well, there was, um, what was that? There was that cartoon when we were quite young called Cat Dog, wasn't there? <laughs> What's <laughs> that? I don't remember that. What the fuck I, is that? I was telling Joe I'm about it, and it was, it was the end cool. of... You were telling Joe about it, so Joe doesn't remember it either. No, yeah, I know. I no, know so you're the only person who remembers a, a cartoon called Cat Dog. 
and I think it was the ends of two, the, you know, it was the end of a cat and a dog sort of stitched together. It was sort of, I guess it was pre-human human centipede. Right, so hold on. Stop. <laughs> I've asked you a question, cats or dogs, and your okay. bizarre answer is to start referring to some sort of bolted together cut and shut between a dog and a cat. No, okay. All you right, want you want a you want a cat? What what one would you have on the front? <laughs> I mean, this is a weird answer. You know. Okay. This is so, not... so we'll, we'll just we'll cut all that out and just say dog. Yeah, <laughs> dog. Right. Okay. No, we are, you're not cutting that out. If you cut that out, right, then uh, I will just ask it every week and refer back specifically to the answer that you yeah, yeah. Uh, gave, the bizarre answer that you gave. Uh, Matt, what's your favourite thing to do in your free time? <laughs> watch, watch football, of course. Yeah, or, other than other than highlight, watching the, just the highlight the, reels the, of football. The footer. Yeah, if it's not English football, I just watch German football, and then if it's not that, then obviously one of the other ones, and and just so on until I get down to. Oh, I can't. Yeah, I'm so. Can't that's how little anymore, I know. I can't it? even. I can't yeah. even think. And I love the fact that you showed such a lack of imagination there. And because I know the reason you chose uh, German football is because a mutual friend of ours found it really amusing about three years ago when I began, I messaged him in the middle of the day when I was in the office at work with, and the first line was, I was just watching Bundesliga highlights. And and then, and then I just went on because that made me think of a question for him or whatever. And he just responded, ignored the rest of my message. Just like, it's like eleven thirty or whatever. <laughs> He's like, you're in the office, and your first line was, "I was just watching Bundesliga highlights." The funny, um, what was also funny is the reason that you had to stop watching it is because they started, you know, they got some obviously techie people come into the company and they started monitoring what people were doing <laughs> during the day. That's, that's not. That's almost certainly not the reason. The reason would probably have been that you know. I needed to go swimming or something. You know? <laughs> it was clashing. It was clashing with your swimming. Nothing stands in. Yeah, exactly. It was getting in the way. I can't spend this long watching Bundesliga highlights. You know, the thirty-two laps of the Olympic pool away. Anyway, Matt, let's. Should we? Should we talk about football? You know, now that we've yeah, uh, discovered yeah, yeah, a bit yeah, more yeah. about you. You know, um, <laughs> what what are, what are we talking about this week, Matt? Um. Okay, so we are. You have talking no about, idea. Do you? I, no, I do, but I'm, I'm a bit worried about it. I think we, we're talking about fan power, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we are fan power. And the reason I guess I'm slightly concerned is because mm. you, you've been sending me, sending me some quite aggressive messages over the week. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like if a if a if a WhatsApp message could jump out of your phone and just piss in your face. <laughs> yeah, then then. Yeah. Then yours most definitely would, and um, I'm glad that's come across because that's definitely the, the the mindset with which I'm sending you. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, so I'm a bit worried we now need to do this over a podcast. But yes, I well, feel the, we we have very different opinions on on this. Well, no, I think only because uh, I'm of the belief that collective action um, taken by football supporters, in fact, even outside of football, I think the collective action you, you'd be amazed what you can achieve in life with collective action, even when situations look hopeless and you think that institutions or any type of power representation that that stand in front of you are insurmountable and you can never take them on, but people get there for collective action. If if there's a will, then there's a a way. And you have immediately kind of poo-pooed and taken a kind of cynical negative 
shall I say, easy um, uh, outlook on my suggestion that, that collective action can make a difference in football. So before I tell you why you're wrong, would you like to explain... <laughs> Would you like to explain why you um, <laughs> why you think that? Yeah, yeah. If you're going to get the back, my my um, front door, I've just got to yeah, yeah, be a yeah. parcel. Thank you very much. No Hello, mate. Cheers. Um, okay, so. I assign what I would say my views to those of John Byams when he was interviewed and he sort of said the fans haven't won. So I guess we're, we're obviously referring back to when the ESL fell apart. The fans didn't win. It was just one powerful group of interests against another powerful group of interests. And those who came out on top just so happened to have the fans' interests aligned with theirs. So that's why I guess I, I still struggle with the idea that the, that the fans have um, had a genuine influence on that outcome. So, yeah. Um, do you not see that you're referring, you're making a judgment about the limitations of fan power based purely on that issue? You're, you're breaking down why the European Super League project fell apart and why certain people objected to it and how those objections may not have been you know, necessarily as noble as people wanted them to be, or they might not have been on the side of the fans as much as they wanted to appear. And you're using that as a way to sort of diminish the role that fans and collective action can can take um, in all areas of football. I'm not, because I'm not just talking about the European Super League. I think I said um, on a recent episode that I don't actually think that the last... Um, Sorry, the European Super League fell apart because people were outside the gates of Stamford Bridge, Ellen Road or wherever. Um, I actually think that probably had quite a minimal impact. I just think that the the allowing the kind of announcements of withdrawal the, from the likes of Chelsea and Man City made it appear that way and gave it a, um, made it look like they were kind of like listening to their fans and it was a reaction to that. And that will give them in their, you know, I'm sure they're hoping that will give them sort of, you know, PR benefits moving forward and maybe a little bit more of an understanding ear the next time they're trying to flog overpriced shite to their, uh, to their supporters um, and asking them for, you know, more uh, season ticket money or whatever. Are we is another crap, vulgar, a home or away shirt, you know, that's 70 quid, please, you know, just shut up and pay up. <laughs> um, but no, that's not really what I'm, I'm because it isn't just about, so, so no, I don't believe that that's why the European Super League fell apart. I think it might have had a small part of it, but as I said before, in my opinion, the European Super League fell apart because that they were genuinely shocked by the strength of the opposition from football governance and then wider governance, um, sort of, you know, National, you know, national government in the UK and 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 elsewhere, but the fact that FIFA and UEFA actually showed some teeth um, for a change, I think, made a massive difference. And that uh, you know, kind of other clubs stood together and came out and, uh, and and opposed it. But I think also, if they genuinely thought that fans wouldn't get on board with it and wouldn't be won round by this, and it was such an alien concept to them, and as a result might not necessarily even attend games, because normally they don't give a shit about that sort of thing. They'll just think, oh, okay, if a few thousand stop going, another few thousand will turn up. But if they thought, oh, there is actually a chance that we could have empty seats in the stadium of this boring charade of the same 
clubs playing each other every year, um, then that's not going to look good. Because again, as I've said before, you can you can go on all you like about how uh, what is it they call them now legacy fans? Oh, this awful term that apparently the the sort of marketing departments of the uh, the big six clubs refer to. Um, sort of the traditional fan base as legacy. You've got legacy fans and future fans. So legacy fans are people who, you know, might live in the the area or the the host country, uh, and and kind of have a more traditional view on that football club, and are you know either go to games regularly or occasionally or whatever. Um, and that, and then you've got the future fans who are uh, all areas of the world, and they engage with the club mostly digitally. And I mean, they're such depressing. PR marketing bullshit terms, but unfortunately that's how the people running the game see us. Um, but um, um, yeah, but anyway, so the long and short of it is that's not why that's not why it um, fell apart. But there are countless examples um, over a long period of time where collective action from football fans, football fans saying enough is enough, or taking a stance, or standing together, has made a massive difference. Now, let's not forget that within the last two weeks, the biggest, the most high profile and world renowned rivalry in English football, one of the biggest in world football, uh, Manchester United versus Liverpool at Old Trafford, was cancelled. I mean, that's a massive deal. The match was cancelled because thousands of people turned up outside the ground to make a righteous protest against the disgraceful actions of their owners, not just over the European Super League, but over a long period of time. They got the game. That's a game that was worth hundreds of millions of pounds in terms of worldwide broadcasting, sponsorship, endorsements, etc. You know, wages, everything, uh, policing, off because of civil disruption. Now, I don't think enough has been made as to what and it, I, I, no, I am. I'm going to use the word achievement. That was an achievement. And I know that there's some dickheads went too far and, you know, made a bit of a show of themselves. And, you know, a police officer got injured and that's, you know, never, a, a, you know, you, you, you can't defend that. But that shouldn't um, distract from the fact that those people are they're making a legitimate and well um organized protest against their their owners and the direction of the club and years before that you know since the i think the glazers took over in 2005 they've launched a, a essentially a, a whole new club fc united and and they've had a protest movement based around the the original colors i think when they were called newton heath when they first founded the, the sort of golden green and in the late and and, and people are, again who have incorrectly said that uh Oh, they're only moaning now because they're not winning the league every every year. I mean, that's just bollocks because they were they were probably at their most dominant, um, you know, long spells of dominance. But that period, two thousand and seven, eight, nine, three consecutive um, uh, league titles, and then they got to two Champions League finals in oh uh, nine and eleven, uh, lost them both, but they'd won it in in uh, two thousand and eight. So that was a period where you know they they were absolutely lapping it up and dominating English football and it's sort of, it looked like they'd seen off Chelsea who had kind of gone above them for a few years and Arsenal were on the way and yet they were still protesting they were still turning up at um, Old Trafford and sort of 60 70 percent of the ground would be golden green rather than red and um, you know like I say setting up an opposition football club 
football fans are divided by awful, you know, lots of lots of things. You know, we're, there's a, that rearranged game is going on tonight, and it's, you know, obvious what side of that uh, divide I'm going to be on. And there's no, you know, there is absolute hostility between those two sets of fans. They've got no time for each other whatsoever. But actually, when you get areas of protest and commonality, you realise that there is there is way more in common than there is that divides most football clubs because most football fans are on the same page in terms of what they expect, how they expect their club to be run, how they expect the club to be represented and the things that they expect their clubs to kind of aspire to. And when you, when you, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what the statistics would be, but I'd imagine the proportion of people who actually, you know, even if they kept it quiet to themselves thought, Oh, this is a good idea. This European super league will probably be, or what do you reckon? I guess 1%, 2%. Most football fans want the same things. They just want, you know, they want uh, a fair competition. Well, as fair as possible. Clearly, you know, it will never be perfect because there's always going to be an economic imbalance. But they just want, you know, the integrity of promotion, relegation on on merit and, you know, a winner and a runner-up at the end of any, you know, season or, you know, competition, you know, and 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 trophies as as the reward, and that's the glory, and that's the journey you go on as a football fan. And for that to be threatened, every single football fan would agree with that. So that, that, you know, that's what's been quite quite amazing. But football fans are realizing a lot already realized, but are realizing now the power that they actually have as customers. I hate using that term, customers. I'll never describe myself as a customer. I'll never be a fucking customer, but. They do think of us as uh, customers. And a big example, I forwarded you an article on, on Saturday that as a result, largely as a result of the in- instability around the club and the protest movement, uh, um, the Manx lost out on a £200 uh, million pound training kit deal from the Hutt Group, who stepped away from a, a deal that was about to be signed because they are worried about the um, the implications of being associated with such a toxic regime. Supporters groups of that club have sent out uh, a kind of warning with a list of, I think they did it through social media, with a list of um, co- uh, commercial organisations that are official supporters of the club um, and, and essentially warning them, we are going to boycott your products. We're going to stop spending money on, you know, your cars, your, your sportswear, your your donuts, your coffees, whatever the hell it will be. And we're going to do that until you withdraw your support from the club. Now, you could say, oh, that's just futile. I don't believe it is futile. Even if I'm not saying that it's going to lead to the collapse of Adidas. Clearly, it's not going to do that. But don't forget that these organisations are going to, they will be spooked by that. You're talking about one of the biggest and most supported football clubs in the world who are sending out essentially a diktat saying, look, and everyone's going to see that, you know, all the, all the supporters in, um, uh, you know, Japan and Thailand and China and, and in South America, North America, Australia, every, every, they're all going to see that. Um, and I think it will have a, an impact. I'm not, obviously, I'm not saying that it's going to be kind of widespread, but even if 5% of those people who would have uh, allow it to affect their commercial decision making, then that has an impact. And then it can end up costing the club money. Then it undermines the ownership and might might actually test their unwillingness to uh, sell the club um but it you know even more fundamentally than that there are there are countless examples way beyond kind of what's happened in the last few weeks one of those um that really comes to mind uh, most prominently is blackpool see blackpool had a spell of being 
very very well run. They had a season in the Premier League. I think it was 2010-11 um, or 11-12. I think it was 10-11. And um, since then, they've gone, gone into free fall. And uh, I think they spent maybe one season in even in the bottom tier. No, I think I'm wrong there, actually. I think they've not gone any lower than League One. But they've been in a right state, an absolute right state. And they're owned by this guy called Carl Oyston, who I think whose family had... Um, invested in the club uh, some years back and, you know, supposedly had a lot of wealth behind them. But the man was draining the club. And, you know, you had situations where players weren't being paid properly and he was uh, just a, a, you know, a bit of an authoritarian figure um, in the in the background. And fans had just had enough of it. So they stopped going. They just literally, all you know, a, a, a sustained boycott of the stadium as a result, he's you know, clubs at that level, as we've discussed before, rely very heavily on gate receipts because they're not getting the TV money that you get further up. And um, so it looks ridiculous for a start when the highlights or if they ever get a live game or, or on TV and the stadium is three quarters or more um, completely empty. So it's a PR disaster. But what would happen is those supporters um, would replace their routine of going into the game with a you know a march they'll they'll do a march and a demonstration outside the stadium and that was over a long period of time we're not talking like a you know a couple of weeks and a lot of this time it wouldn't have been getting covered by national press they wouldn't other than kind of local news media and even then they probably sort of started to wear off because we're living in a in a in a world in which people have short attention spans now and you know even sort of local news journalists appetite for a for a big long story that requires sort of patience and analysis and a bit of nuance, that doesn't really fit in with a Twitter generation of, you know, <laughs> reactionary bellends and uh, you know self-important twats who uh, just want to spout their uh, their bullshit as an immediate reaction to uh, just reading a headline and knowing nothing more about it, or or for example, listening to uh, you know a couple of uh, throwaway lines on a on a podcast, completely misinterpreting <laughs> it and then messaging me uh, about it as a by way of sort of raising an objection without actually understanding the point I was making in the first place. Um, but, <laughs> but hey, I can't think, of, uh, can't think of anyone who's done it. But but but, but, uh, but um, uh, yeah, sorry, there, there goes my my rant against modern culture. Um, uh, where was I? I lost my train of thought now. Yeah. So, um, but these people still dug in. They had the patience and the um, the sort of focus on what they were trying to achieve. As a result, the club, these, this, the Oyston family had no, zero intention of ever selling Blackpool. They didn't apparently seem to care about the the um, kind of message and the acrimony from the local community and the fan base. They just held them in contempt. But they were worn down and they were essentially booted out of the club. But they didn't just use their own kind of, you know, noble protest. They got um, the Football League involved and um, essentially were trying to discredit them um, as uh, unfit owners. I think there was even a, uh, an attempt to, to get it to court. Um, and they were they were forced to, to sell the club and are now run by... Um, a guy who clearly has got the best intention of the club um, at heart. He's taken, even he's only, I think it's been less than two years since he got the club off the Oysters, but the fans are back or they will be back once the, uh, once the pandemic's over. Um, they've brought in uh, 
the I think the under twenty threes coach or one of the reserve coaches from from Liverpool, a guy called Neil Neil Critchley, who's done a really good job. Team are playing good football, and the club is re um, sort of re-energised. That's all down to to fan action. Similar thing happened at Charlton Athletic, where their owner, I think his name is Roman de Chatelet or something like that, he was an absolute ass for bloke. He all the all the usual bullshit big talk when he first brought Charlton, we're gonna be, do this, we're gonna do that. I think he owned a, a club or two in Belgium, which is where he's from. And um all, all, all this chat about what he was gonna do uh, for Charlton. And it was just bollocks. He was he was essentially just um you know, because there is there is precedent for this. You do, you do there are some like the Red Bull ownership model, you know, and they they do essentially kind of Watford do a similar thing with Udinese and Watford where they almost unofficially turn one club into a feeder club of, of the other. Um, so it can clearly mean that, the, you know, the club that's lower down the food chain there ends up feeling a little bit kind of, you know, limited and like they've got clipped wings because if they've got players that ever end up being good enough, they, they just go to the, the kind of, you know, bigger club within that ownership structure. But Charlton, Charlton would be in bled dry, no... No real money was was actually getting its way to Charlton, and, and they weren't ever having any funds to buy players, and everything was kind of getting neglected. I think there was even issues with wages. So Charlton did a similar thing, boycotting matches. They were doing um, uh, what I found a re- really amusing um, um, piece of kind of social disruption of just randomly at an organised point during the match, they'd all pull tennis balls out of their pockets and just throw them on the pitch. <laughs> and it held up the held up the game for five or ten minutes while they cleared all you know a few hundred tennis balls uh, off the pitch. That's fantastic because it, it, you know no no one gets hurt, um, but it still raises the objection. It targets the right people, um, and it makes the news, and that which embarrasses these you know because so many so many individuals who are rich and powerful enough to to purchase and egotistical enough to run a football club, they're not used to ever having anyone look them in the eye and say no. They'll be surrounded by lackeys who say yes, everyone who works for them and has got a kind of financial interest in agreeing with every word they say. So they're unaccustomed to opposition. You only you only have to look at the, the these cabal of Bellens who tried to launch the European Super League to see <laughs> the type of the type of personalities we're talking about here. But it's not just at that top level, you know, it's it's something it's it I think it's a rare a rare talent to be a rich powerful individual but still be kind of you know in touch with public sentiment and actually to care about what made your club special in the first place and why it's important to that community and what where it's you know what makes it special and you know where where its potential lies and if you've got owners that are disrespecting that to such a large extent that a club is being destroyed then you've got to seize ownership of that back just because somebody else is uh, theoretically an owner in terms of, you know, their names on the beads of the stadium or whatever, or, um, you know, listed as the, um, you know, on the board of directors, they're not, they're, they're, they're tenants really, you know, the, the, the fo- football clubs uh, that in this country are all um, over a hundred years old and have all got um, generation after generation of kind of history behind them. So, People who come along, buy the club, and you know think they can just use it as an egotistical plaything, yeah, they'll get away with that for a while. But ultimately, when it all falls flat and they get bored, as I said the other week, the 
people who support the club are going to be the ones who are always there and, and fall back on. And that's why it's important that those people recognise their power because if they hadn't been there in the first place as this kind of support base or customers, as um, again, the term that makes me feel sick, then it wouldn't have, um, they wouldn't have purchased it in the first place. Southend United are going through a thing at the moment. So Southend have never been out of the Football League, I think, in about 120 years of history. They've been relegated from the Football League for the first time because, again, an arsehole owner, um, I think his name's Ron Martin, made all sorts of promises about, are oh, we going to build you a new stadium and we're going to turn you into a real like powerhouse and the on the Essex coast and we can go through the divisions. And it's just been an absolute disaster. They've now had consecutive relegations They've asset stripped the the squad. Um, they've allowed the, the the club to just go into um, you know a really long term malaise, and they're going to be playing part time football next. Well, it's not it's not technically part time football, but it is theoretically part time football. I'm sure they'll still remain a professional club, as indeed most clubs in the National League Premier are these days. But still, that's a that's a proper football club, an established football league club. They've had years of, of their history actually in the, the championship, so the second tier, and they've been destroyed by one arse of a, of a, hum, of a human being. But again, even during the pandemic, the last few weeks, protests outside the ground from the fans of Southend United. I'm sure that will continue. I'm sure there'll be acts of disruption. They'll use um, every uh, method that they can, you know, the, the local press, et cetera, et cetera, to just kind of, you know, put pressure. And then if they can at the same time either self-fund or find somebody to come along and make a reasonable offer who's got the club's best interests at heart, then fantastic. You can say, I was about to say, you know, they, they then win. But unfortunately, you then never know what's really going to happen when this new 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 person or consortium comes along and buys the club. But it just goes to show that the in all areas of life, the elite and the powerful want you to think you're in a hopeless situation. They want you to be these kind of, you know, meek, um, compliant customers, just press, press by, turn up, sit down, shut up, get on with it, don't ask questions. You know, buy your new shirt, endorse the brand, you know, wear the right gear at the right time, you know, make sure that Nike logo is showing. Fuck off. Matt, do you have anything to add about about, about fan power? <laughs> well, no. What's it like I, in, the, I, in the middle class things that you're into? You know, do you get a lot of fan power in rowing? <laughs> um no, it. I. Just, I mean, I. I don't want to be too serious. No, please do, Matt. It, it that that was that was in that was helpful. Uh, understanding, you know, over the last forty odd minutes, your your take on it. Um, it gave it gave much greater context to the WhatsApp messages where you just shouting at me saying you're missing the fucking point. <laughs> If anything, yeah. that was the great thing is fun. some people miss the point because that's how we that's how we interact these days, isn't it? It's the people social media is essentially people a lot of the time deliberately missing the point in order to facilitate a boring argument, you know, and and just getting at each other and forming tribes. Whereas when you miss the point, it's because you're missing the fucking point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you think we've uh, we've done with uh, with fan? <laughs> Well, no, one of these weeks, it might be next week. I don't know, but I, I've I, I've got a, a growing list of just like pathetic, dull, 
um, gripes and moans about aspects <laughs> of football uh, that I'm, I'm just itching to moan about. But the sort of thing that most people have no interest in. In fact, I haven't really got an interest in, but just like... And I know that there's an FA, there's an FA Cup final. But then it makes right? me think, well, what have the last 10 episodes been about? Well, everything's about you know, <laughs> self-righteous moaning, isn't it? But I, I know every time you get into the kind of trophy spell of the season, it makes me realise that so many things I miss about um, uh, the way in which football sort of celebrations used to be compared to what they are now. One of the most beautiful things that you live for when you support a football club is that moment when... A um, your, the captain of your club goes up, they lift the trophy and they turn it to your supporters and you have that incredible moment of celebration altogether, the roar of the crowd and just everyone jubilant. And at Wembley Stadium, what they do at, um, so let's just say Chelsea win the uh, FA Cup, as they probably will on, uh, on Saturday. Some self-important bellend on an overpriced, overpowered uh, PA system. The minute that... Uh, I'm assuming it would be as Pelaqueta lifts the cup. They go, yeah, they cup winners. And then they'll coincide it with the moment that he lifts that trophy. And they'll go, Chelsea! Right? And that completely removes. You can't then hear the crowd, the roar. They don't get that moment. And I don't know who in, in football thinks that that adds anything to either a spectator in the ground or a TV viewer. It ruins it for everyone. You don't want to hear some... Dick, who's like the master of ceremonies at Wembley, <laughs> who, who is literally a no mark. You could walk and, and just hear his fucking voice booming over the top of your celebration. But anyway, yeah. that, but that's just well, one well, of many. When we get round to that one, that podcast will get record downloads. <laughs> On that note, goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>